those things. <laughs> I think he was kidding, but <laughs> you never know with those British people. Yeah, you never know with Nigel. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe, an hour of interviews, music, and camaraderie. I'm Ryan, and I'll be your host along this crazy adventure through the land of the wheel fiddle. So strap in, and let's see what's cranking in the Hurdy Gurdy community today. So welcome back, everyone, to the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe podcast. We've got another special guest today. His name is Francesco, and he's with the band Trigo Migo. Welcome, Francesco. Hello. Yes, great to have you. And as always, we have um, Sergio Gonzalez with us. Welcome, Sergio. Hello. (laughs) Great to see you. Um, So before we get into our discussion with Francesco, uh, we're going to start listening to a track uh, from his band, Trigomigo. And the name of this track, again, is Le Velu. Is that how you pronounce that? Okay, close enough. <laughs> so Your we'll, French is improving, right? My French is improving. <laughs> I, start, I started watching uh, some Netflix shows with, with French, uh, French language and English subtitles, so hopefully I'll get it eventually. But anyway, let's have a listen. <laughs> Campagna, ma tanto compagno, 
a track from Francesco's band Trigo Migo. And Francesco, can you tell us a little bit about that track? Yeah, well, um, this is a melody uh, I've uh, found uh, on old books from, from France, maybe. So with this band, what we do as, as, um, as a dancing project, uh, a music project, is to, to take uh, back some, some music from, from old recordings or from old um, writings, and we take them back, we uh, rearrange them in order to be playable uh, as a dance. So this uh, is a melody that talks about a heavy player that used to, to go and travel within villages to, to play and make um, some happy time for, uh, for all the people, and he earned his life in that way. Excellent. And your band, it's, it's a trio, right? It's uh, you on Hurdy Gurdy. Uh, there's an acc accordion player and a singer. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And uh, how did you all get together? How did you start playing? So, well, uh, the group existed before uh, I joined it. So the other two members were the, were the founder of the, of the group. Uh -huh. And at the beginning, the, the group was uh five was about five people all together and it started um on 12 2002 it's uh some time ago and i joined them uh, in 2009 and then we, we still played for for quite some time as, as uh, a quintet and uh, and then two of the members needed to, to go elsewhere because they had too many, too many projects, uh, and so we we decided to keep the the, the band, but to, to shrink it to a, to a trio, and now how it uh, that then developed within the the last seven eight years. Well, you make more money when there's yes. only three of you, right? Of course, that's a big <laughs> a big point for bands. Always do duos and trios, no more than three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Sergio, you're the one that introduced me to Francesco's music. Um, so I'm curious, how do you two know each other? I know Francesco because uh, for me, he's one of the experts regarding the baroque epoca and the goodies of the 17th and 18th century i really like uh, talking with francesco about the uh, about all instruments and uh, for me it's always a pleasure to to listen to to him talking about this so mm -hmm. fantastic and so, so I'm guessing he, he has quite a collection from what i can see behind. we can see something uh, can you guess ryan I, I no, I have no idea. <laughs> I can't see it. What's back there, Francesca? 
<laughs> well, back there, I, I think I have some of the oldest ones. Um, so, well, those are, are all playable, actually, and um, it's uh, Baroque instruments. So the, the, the two there are from Pierre Louvet. Oh, it's uh, this one, the loot bag, it's from 1754, and the guitar-shaped one is uh, 1745. But the, the funny thing about this one is actually that in, in that era, since there were a huge demand, uh, a really huge asking for, for Heideggeris, uh, Luthier were used to take all their instruments that weren't um, a la mode at that period, so they, they were really used, um, like guitars and uh, chorpos and uh, and transform them into Heideggeris. And this is the case oh. of that one. So this one, the, the, the guitar shape, it was an actual guitar, uh, a Boboam, so a very well-known and uh, one of the finest uh, builder of 17th century. Okay. So it's about uh, 1650, 1660. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> one century after, like the Herigeri um, Stradivari <laughs> built from that Herigeri. Uh, Wow. Um, it's it's yeah. interesting, eh? Uh, wow. For for people to know where we are, Beethoven was born in 1770. You know yeah. what I mean? So <laughs> uh, even Mozart was born in uh, 1757. So it, it, wow, for me, it's uh, <laughs> both are older than Mozart. Yeah, uh -huh. and you play those? Those are those are playable, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. I play them every day, actually. Huh. Uh, How awesome. cool is this? How cool is this? And and uh, who who did restore uh, that one? The the bottom one. I'm very curious. Did you yes. do it yourself, or, or did you take no, it to someone uh, to Boudet? I've been restored by um by a French uh, French builder, um one that made um 12th uh, century history of Heidegger uh, building. That is uh, Jean Claude Boudet. Ah, Boudet. Yes, yes, yes. I, I guess um, many people still know him. He's still alive and he's still uh, building and and restoring. It's not. Uh, it's almost eighty-two now. Oh, mm. wow. uh, and uh, I think uh, an interesting thing about Boudet. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is he uh, does he own the Pajot uh, old factory right in in uh, in uh, where is it in Gensad? Yes, exactly. Yes, in. I don't remember which year particularly, but I think it was in the 90s. He bought the the name, so the brand. The brand ah, yeah. okay. So the brand Pajot and uh, it took the the last um, the last house, the last atelier from Pajot Pajot was what was the last of, of the dynasty of the Pajot. Okay, I th we will talk about the Pajot uh, later, but uh, now let's focus on on, on Louvet. Eh? Let, let's focus on the Louvet is 17, 17 uh, century, right? It's 18th century. 18, sorry, 1700s, 18, 18th right. century. And what can you tell us about the about the Gurdis of that of that era? Eh? Well, um, if you look back at uh, all the old Gurdis we have and there have been built. Um, I've tried several from many different builders from many different well, from some different centuries. Uh, I, I have to say, from, from my personal experience, uh, the instruments from from 18th century are the best built and so the best sounding. 
animals. Really, the, the building quality was at its highest levels. And they were, you, you can also say they were quite lucky. Because uh, at the end of 17th century, there has been a very short ice age. It's not, as we imagine, like everything uh, ice, but temperatures for like it was between I remember it's like 30 50 years dropped down quite quite, quite oh, okay so wood could um, grow in a more straight way so all, all the, the veins were, are more tight and more precise and that makes a huge difference for the sound mm -hmm. because, uh, the, the quality of the woods really mattered in, uh, in how an instrument will sound, and that's why all the instruments, not only Herigeri, but everybody knows about like Stradivari, Guarnieri del Gesù, so, so all those um, really high quality violins, and they were lucky as well as the Herigeri builders, because for all the builders there at that time, wood was so high quality that all the instruments were really high quality sounding. Also. So, so you're saying because of a mini ice age that happened around the 1700s, <laughs> the, the trees grew straighter and therefore the wood was better and then therefore there were better sounding and better quality instruments. Yeah. Yes. But well, of course, it's not only that. Yeah. It's half is that and the other half is the high quality of building. Mm. Mm. Um, well, for violins, it's, um, the path is different, of course. But for Herdigeris, it really makes a difference to have like proper trained uh, builders with top materials, with uh, high quality in, in everything. Uh, they were building and increasing the, the characteristic and the sounds of instruments. If now we see as a standard uh, a guitar-shaped Herdigeri and a luthier-shaped Herdigeri, it's because those luthier in the 18th century, they settled it. So they they were the first ones to try this shape and to announce this shape. Fantastic. So everything afterwards comes out of the work of those builders of, of 18th century. Actually, also the number of keys, the number of strings, uh, all the the set the this the, the, the GC the the CG uh, setting actually is the Baroque setting. Uh -huh. that, that came through for, for the century uh, to come. Actually, hmm. so it is uh, is also in that period where uh, when capos uh, were invented, right? Yes, exactly. It was actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they invented so many things actually that we don't think about it. It seems like well, yeah, we, we have done a lot of improvements, but many of them, well, not all of them, of course, but many of them were already there. In the 18th century, so they how crazy is that? Eh? A lot. Like the, the capos was invented by Pierre Bouvet mm -hmm. um, in the 18th century, of course, and it was used only for the for the trumpet. So they, they didn't place any on drones or ah, okay, on the trumpet because um, like this kind of repertoire was played mainly on uh, on two tonalities. So C and G. So mm -hmm. the, the whole tuning of the instrument was to it to be able to play either in C major or minor or uh, G major or minor. 
And when you need to play in G, you cannot have a, a C drone uh, below it. So you need it either a G or uh, a D. Or in D. So that's why you have uh, the, um, the, D, the D capo. On, uh, mm. How cool is that? Yeah. So are, are all the tracks from that Toby Miller, those Toby Miller recordings you sent, you sent, are those all in G and C? Yeah, actually, yes. Okay. Ah. <laughs> if you look at the score, all of them are G major or minor, C major or minor. Mm. And, that's it. and you can go through all the repertoire been written down for Freddie Getty, and it's actually all in, the, in those tonalities. Hmm. And hmm. there are quite, quite some repertoire. It's like Almost like 1,000 sonatas. So, wow, 1,000 sonatas. <laughs> it's a lot. And then and what, who, who are the, like the, the big composers, the big uh, hardy-gardy composers of that period, like Baton or...? Uh... Yeah, so some of the main uh, are... Yeah, Baton was well-known, of course. Uh, I think that the two main, uh, the two most known also can be uh, Chedevi, Nicolas, mm -hmm. uh, even though it was more of a music player than a, than a Hedigeri player, but he also played the, the, the And he was a builder as well. He was building and developing the, the music. The, the music du cours was uh, a particular kind of uh, backpipe used for, for Baroque music. Um, and another important name for the Hedigeri, especially because what he, he wrote was quite interesting, is uh, Dupuis. Um, Dupuis wrote some of the finest pages for Hedigeri. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, a lot of his music are, it's really, really interesting and it's, uh, it's really lovely and very hard to play <laughs> as well. <laughs> So when you when you were talking about the quality of the build with with these 18th century hurdy gurdies, so are you saying that before that time and and after that time the the, the build quality tended to be a little less uh, like a good? Uh... Yeah, well, you can say that, especially for what came before. That's uh, before before 18th century, so before uh, aristocracy, French aristocracy was interested into the hurdy gurdy. The instrument was mainly played by um, folk people. Mm. So it was used, uh, we have a lot of drawing paintings uh, uh, from beggars, uh, blind beggars, uh, all those kind of... Um, well, don't, don't, don't lose that train of thought. I want you to, to keep going with what you're going to talk about. But my question that just came up, which I've seen asked many times is, um, you know, these days, when we think about hurdy-gurdies and the cost of hurdy-gurdies, I always think to myself, how on earth were these ever folk instruments or, 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 or beggar instruments, if you want to call it that? Because how did they afford those things? <laughs> were they just homemade and not quite as sophisticated? Is that, that the main difference? Well, most of them, uh, I, I think they were made not by luthier, but by artisans. Maybe some of them could be like handmade by somebody who want them to play it. Uh, I've never heard um, like a, a 17th instrument uh, being played so far. And there, there's not too many actually also. Uh, the oldest, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's 
16th century, the oldest ones we have still remain. Mm. And uh, of course, they are like in museums um, and not playable, not in playable condition. The, um, the sad thing about Perdigari is that most of them are kept in museum or private collections, but with private collector that don't even know how, how to turn the crank. Uh, uh, so uh, almost all of those ancient and beautiful instruments are kept away from being heard. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not easy to, to, to hear them play. So actually, like to, for me to hear a Lube playing, I had to buy one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And when you when you bought it, and you so you you bought one, and then you had it restored. Is that correct? So when you when you first got it, I mean, what kind of shape are they in before they are restored? I mean, are there cracks in them? Are they what what kind of shape are these instruments in before they're restored? I know. It, it really depends from the, the specific instrument, it, it, uh, the, the, specific, uh, the specific history of the instrument. <laughs> yeah. Well, whether someone's wife got mad at him and destroyed it. I know, Raya, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about that. Smashing louvets, no, please. <laughs> Story about some some old instruments destroyed. I, I will tell you later. Okay. Remind me. Um, you know, uh, sometimes if you are lucky enough, the instrument is almost in perfect condition. It's it's really rare, but sometimes it can happen that the instrument didn't went into several restoring process, or uh, like it lost almost all of its parts. Uh, but um, many times those instruments went through uh, different restorations. Mm -hmm. What you can see, it's also like poorly restorations, like sometimes <sighs> they nail part in it with actual nails or screw. I've seen things screw in, in all the instruments. Um, things repaired with uh, metal parts. Wow. <laughs> I, I've seen all sorts of stuff done on four old instruments. <laughs> so it's very difficult to find an instrument that it's almost to what it was uh, at the origin, the origin, and with no cracks and uh, all the reeds still intact. It's, it's mm -hmm. very hard. Like, I was very lucky with this one. So oh, yes. Set, it was almost all there, or almost. It's almost everything uh, original. Uh, so the, the keyboard has, has been changed. So the keys has been changed. Not all of them, but the first row, um, like more than a half of the first row has been changed. Hmm. But everything else on top, it's still original. And actually, it still had some of the original uh, tangents. Oh, really? Side. Yes. Come on. <laughs> it's, it's so nice. funny to see the... Um, the 18th century uh, tangents, and then you compare them to the 19th century tangents. And it's a whole different word, actually. <sighs> it's very uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, because, you know, to, in order to have a very precise sound, uh, a, a wooden tangent needs to be quite sharp and quite small. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what you see on an um, 18th century instrument. If then you shift 
to a 993 instrument. What you see, it's a very fat piece of wood, <laughs> quite square, not even not even rounded uh, mm. at the edge. And, and that's Pajot quality. <laughs> that's Pajot quality. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, well, of course, I've heard many good Pajot playing. Uh, but um, I do have one myself. But I had to do some, some work to refine some parts of it because mm -hmm. we weren't really well refined, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> it's quite funny to, to compare those, uh, those instruments within different centuries. Yeah. Well, before we, before we move on, because uh, the more you talk, the more questions I keep typing out here. <laughs> <laughs> but before we move on, why don't we take a, a moment to listen to one of the other tracks that, that you had uh, wanted to feature uh, during today's podcast. Sound good? Yes. Let's listen to, and you can correct me again on my pronunciation. This is a, a, a Herman Diaz, uh, La Topolina Amaranto. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and um, let, let's have a listen, and we can talk about it when we get back. Sound good? All right. Yes. Here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> Okay. 
and welcome back again to the second season, episode three of the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe podcast. We're here with Francesco and Sergio, and we just got done listening to a track by Herman Diaz. Uh, what could you tell us about that track, Francesco? So this is a track. It's a track I really like. Uh, it's actually uh, coming from an Italian musician uh, called Paolo Conte. Uh, one of the greatest um, jazz player here from Italy, and I really love the version from from, from Herman. It's uh, I, I used to to, to to listen to it uh, quite often uh, the German uh, the Herman version. But, uh, it's so cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how it starts out with the, uh, I'm assuming that's some kind of like music box that reads paper or some sort. Is that actually what's going on there? Or is that some kind of uh, audio uh, intricacy? Yeah, well, uh, Herman has this amazing project, those, those crazy ideas, where he, he plays together all those different, um, what's called like continuously sounding um instrument like uh this uh orgue de, ba de barbarie for, for example so there's uh like this kind of music box with this um paper mm -hmm. also need that it goes included with little machine and produce music or this little carry-on yes yes prepared and set all to do the same thing or this crazy thing that i really love uh, are those um uh, lp uh, with the um, uh, cardiac rhythm. Oh yes, yes, the, oh, it's, it's so good. It, it, wow. It's amazing, and they compose special music on top of those um, heart uh, beatings. Uh huh. Uh, heart I, uh, uh, with with problems actually. Yes, so exactly. Each, each one right. of those has a, a cardiac problem. And they wrote uh, Herman and other musicians. They, they wrote on top of those uh, special specific mu music, and it, it's mind blowing, really. Well, <laughs> if, if, if you can remember to send me a link to some of that, I would love to hear it. That would be yes. It's it's called El Metodo Cardiofónico. Metodo okay. Cardiofónico, and it comes from a from an old vinyl, you know, from, from a doctor that recorded a, a different heartbeat uh, pathologies. Uh -huh, so wow. it's uh, <laughs> do you see uh, Ryan? Everybody features Herman. Eh? We, yes, we need to, yes, we need to bring him here. Eh? <laughs> yes, <laughs> literally everybody. <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, all right, well, it's the best inspiration we all can. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, then your your homework, Sergio, is after we get done here, you have to message him and say, "Hey, when in the next three or four weeks can you can you talk to us? Can you he, do it?" He's my teacher, so. Oh. <laughs> I can talk him. Uh, I can talk to him on the next uh, lesson. I already talked to him, and uh, he said yes. So okay. probably we will have uh, him on the on the second season. Eh? <laughs> great, great. Well, going back to our, our previous discussion, you you were talking about these these different centuries of instruments, and I'm curious, since you have a lot of instruments and some of them of uh, quite high up in age, how do the instruments that you're talking about, say the 18th century instruments, which are well-built and sound fantastic, how do they compare to today's instruments? Okay, well... Um, is, is that even a comparison you can make, really? I guess that's another yeah, question. Well, I think it's hard to compare those old instruments with the, with the new-built ones. Um, I, I guess 
what you can compare is the, the, the build uh, quality, so the craftsmanship. And uh, I have to admit, in the last 15 years, yeah, 10, 15, almost 20, uh, the level, the building level has increased really a lot. Uh, for, for that, we have to thank some of the, some of the builders that, that we know <laughs> very well, like uh, Wolfgang, Wolfgang Meister Bomber, uh, yes. uh, who has allowed us to reach new level for, for the heritage. Um, and so, um, if, if you compare those instruments, it's a completely different world, actually. So okay. You can compare 19th century um, and 12th uh, century with uh, 18th century, but 21st century instruments are something completely different from, from what was before. Right. Um, is it? The level, the quality is there. It's, I would say the quality is the same. Well, I'm curious. I'm curious about the wood, though. You know, you're talking about how the wood was different. And, you know, I, I recently moved into an old house and the lumber in that old house is solid and straight. And I mean, it is it is amazing the quality of wood that I see here. And this is from a house that was probably built uh, 100 years ago. And I see houses now that don't seem to have that. So I'm uh, curious, do you notice... Are builders today able to access the kind of wood that they had in the 18th century? Does it exist? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. Well, actually, um, we still have some good wood uh, left. Well, not the wood that used to to be used for for those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So, like uh, for example, the the top of 18th century instrument. Uh, it's a kind of wood that doesn't exist anymore. It, it's what? Not, uh, extinct. Extinct. Doesn't exist. Which, which is it? Which which kind mahogany of wood is it? From Cuba. Ah, Cuban mahogany. Of course. Yes, yes I know that. Yes, yes. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it has used all of it because it was. Uh, it had nice sound properties, and actually, it was also very good looking. So within eighteen. And 19th century, all of it has been used in order to make either instruments or a lot of furniture. Hmm. A lot of 18, 17, 18 and 19th uh, furniture are made out of uh, mahogany from Cuba. Um, every now and then you can find, maybe you can like uh, tear apart uh, <laughs> a, a, fantastic, a fantastic table to make I know a few friends of mine, they did that. <laughs> so the result, it's, it's awesome, because then the instrument really sounds very good, actually. Mm, it's a cool. instrument build up with, uh, like, tear apart furniture in order to make uh, an instrument. <laughs> right. imagine, imagine how expensive was it back then eh, to, to ship wood from, uh, from Cuba, uh, you know, from Cuba. Actually, uh, you, you have to, to think that such instruments were really highly cost. Also, for the aristocracy, they were buying it. Of course. That's why you see uh, that fine, fine inlay work on some of the uh, yes. bed. And, yes. And um, to buy one of, one of those instruments could cost as much as building a proper bathroom. So with all the <laughs> okay. uh, if, if you think today how much it could cost to have a high-tech a bathroom, so like the best of the best, and mm. you, you have to point out quite 
some hundreds of euros uh, nowadays. Back then, it was the same amount of money. So it was about um, uh, between like five, six, and uh, 12, uh, 16 golden uh, Louis, uh, Louis, six, uh, Louis, Louis, Louis 15. Hmm. <laughs> the amount of money was this kind of comparison. Right. So, so all these instruments that you have, because I can see three at the moment, okay, you have more somewhere on that wall, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so my, my next question is, you know, since I've gotten involved in, in the hurdy-gurdy, I also seem to be accumulating hurdy-gurdies, and I'm curious, um, how many hurdy-gurdies is too many hurdy-gurdies? Um, I don't think there's a maximum, actually. Never! <laughs> never going to be too many. Um, you, never, you never feel bad that you can't play them all, or do you play them all? Well, I, I try to play them all. Every, okay. Actually, every now and then, uh, I sell some of them so that they get played. Uh, <laughs> if there are some of them that I don't play enough, uh, I prefer to s sell one of those to somebody that is willing to play. <laughs> uh, so I, I do that. Uh, uh, but what about what about maintenance for them? I mean, that's the thing that you know. As I as I as I look at these hurdy gurdies and I think to myself, I have to keep maintaining these, uh, and obviously you do. Um, is it just something that you, you do on a cycle, on a schedule, or just as it is needed? How do you how do you keep all the hurdy gurdies that you have in good shape? That's that's my question. Well, when you need to, to do some work on on them, it's when you play them. Uh, and you detect any any little things that has to be done, you detect it while while playing. So every every time I play an instrument, I settle I settle it properly. Uh, and if it has, I just sorted out everything so that in the end, when I I finished playing the instrument, it's in a in good condition. And do you find that when you when you haven't played one, I'm I'm just curious about all this. When when you haven't played one for a while, does it seem to stay? Uh, in, in the the same kind of setup and shape that it was previously, or do you have to do a little more work on it if you haven't played them for a while? It depends. Actually, it depends from the instruments. Some of them actually don't even detune, so I just take it and play. Wow. I don't need that even to to tune it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's quite the case of the, the 18th century instruments. I uh, normally just take them out and play them, and they are always in tune. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the big quality seems seems to be very good. So I was I am also curious. Uh, what are the markers that tell you that uh, Hardy Gard is from the 18th century? I mean, uh, for uh, imagine uh, I I go to a museum and I see two instruments. Are there any markers that will tell me that specific instrument is from the 18th century and not from the 19th? Okay, well, that's a complicated complicated uh, question. Okay. Because there are, of course there are, but there are so many. And uh, <laughs> it's difficult just to, to answer to, to this question uh, with one answer. Uh, it would take, I think, several hours. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it depends from each uh, maker. So each maker had his own way to build and his own little details that differs from others. Uh, sometimes you cannot guess which is the building. Just by even if you look at everything, 
sometimes you can just say it's anonymous. But mm -hmm. you can say like it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, because because it doesn't have the details of that specific uh, builder. Eh? <laughs> How cool is that? Um, yeah. So like, um, what's the, the main difference between 18th and uh, 19th century instrument? Uh, and that's uh, a thing you can easily uh, detect. It's the um, the sea hole. Mm. The sorry, what sorry? I, I didn't catch that. The sound hole, right? The, ah, not the, not the sound ah, hole. The, yeah. the like the F hole in a violin. Like is that what ah, you're talking about? Ah, yes, yes, yes. Of course, yes. So those C uh, changes from from uh, from period from 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 place where it's built or the instrument. Mm. Uh, each each place is and each time has a different shape for it. And uh, so, so already by looking at it, you can say, well, this instrument might be uh, 18th century, might be a copy of an 18th century instrument, might mm -hmm. come from Genza or Mirkou um, mm -hmm. for the 19th century uh, instrument. Um, because there are specific ways uh, to carve those on, on the resonance table. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one of the way, uh, one of the first main things you, you can detect on, a, on an instrument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you, a quick, another quick question, and, and this is more for uh, the, the beginner and me and the beginners that are listening. Um, when it comes to the, the maintenance, and since you've got so many hurdy-gurdies, how often or how regularly should one change the strings on their instrument? Is there like a, a set time or is it just depend on how much you play? There are many different feelings about this. Uh, of course, it depends also on the amount of hours you are spending on top of mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And it depends if it's gut instrument, gut string, uh, or metal wounded string. Okay. If it's metal wounded string, they tend to break uh, more easily. And they also, they last, even if they don't break, they, they will last less. So mm -hmm. it's mainly up to one year, and then you have to change them. Okay. Uh, gut strings, uh, I would keep them up to two years. But actually, when it's two years old, the, even the gut string is, is not working, it's not vibrating the same way. Uh, okay. And you can start to have some problems in the intonation. So sometimes you have yes. problems in the intonation and... Maybe just just a few a few tangents that doesn't work properly, and you 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 take them up and then down and then up and then down and you change the <laughs> and you change uh, the rosin, add rosin, remove rosin, change cotton again. It, it seems nothing uh, will make it sound as it should, and then you change the string and everything works. Everything right. works. Yes, the instrument is trolling you. Yes, <laughs> that, is, that is that is so helpful because uh, the reason I asked is because uh, I am about the year mark of the the good instrument that I finally got and I've been playing it and I keep hitting the B or or, or, or hitting an E and I'm like why is this not intonating right yes. and I go in and I mess with the tangent a little bit and it stays that way for a little bit and so so changing the, it's time to change the strings that's what you're telling me probably yes <laughs> okay also sometimes you know when especially for the drones you get some some good signal uh, that is when, when it starts to do some squeaking sound and the, the cotton is perfect and freshly new. The rotin is perfect, uh, but still, every now and then, the drones goes to some squeaky sound. 
Uh-huh. This is the signal the drones need to be changed as well. Okay. So, uh, we are all a bit more lazy in changing <laughs> drones. Oh, yes. Not I am very, very lazy. <laughs> and also because they are crazy expensive strings. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I always say I hate guitar players for this because they can change, literally, they can change the strings every month. Uh, so... <laughs> Well, this is that was super helpful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, now now I'm going to have to change some strings here, but that's all right. I can do it. <laughs> you, you you were going to well, go ahead, Sergio. You had a question. Yes, uh, we've been talking a, a, a lot of the um, uh, goodies from the 18th century, but uh, we didn't talk a lot about the 19th century period. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Mirkur and Gensat and everything? So, um, 19th century, I think there we can start from from the most known Hedigodi uh, place, that is Genza. So Genza is it's a village uh, in the center of France, uh, in Auvergne. Uh, and there, starting from the first half of 19th century, um, a builder, uh, Pajot, uh, so the, the the first one of the Pajot dynasty, uh, he started to to build hurdy-gurdies. It was the very early beginning of the nineteenth century, and uh, he he wasn't a builder uh, himself, and he taught to himself uh, to, to build them, and he first did some copy of eighteenth uh, century some, some ah. instruments. And then he developed his own way to build instruments, and his son went to um, went to uh, study uh, how it's called literary <laughs> to study literary uh, to study um, the making of instruments. Yes, to become a builder, and so they they started little by little to. To, to have uh, to construct instruments to sell instruments and actually the the whole village within this century became a sort of factory of pedigrees and yeah. they produced really tones and tones of, of oh. and uh, all the names from Genza were related to Peugeot so either they were Peugeot or they have worked for Peugeot or or trained themselves at their ateliers. Uh, and then started to, to build by, by themselves. But, and one, one funny thing is that sometimes you take an instrument from that period, from Jinza, uh, and you see a name stamped on it. Mm. But it's not from that builder. When one of them had too much work, he gave some work to another one. <laughs> and then he just put the... His own stamp on it. So you have some Peugeot build up from Nigu, for example. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. It's quite eh? funny. And it, it was quite common to see such thing happening. And yeah, they, uh, they were used to, to build so many categories. And they were they were the main builders for of that period actually, and they were selling everywhere in France and even uh, beyond France. Uh, we could find even some some instrument from Genza 
uh, here in Italy. We have found some, mm-hmm. like in, uh, in old houses, we have found a few a few Genzai instruments. And there were some, some sellers that, that went to France to take instruments and to sell them in Italy. Uh, we, have, we have some, some records of that. Uh, it's quite, uh, quite interesting. Mm-hmm. He, he um, used to make other instruments as well, not only Hardy Gardis, right? Um, some, that, some wind instruments or no, am I right? At the very end of the dynasty, actually. Ah, it was late, late, late. Okay, okay. Late. Uh, because uh, Peugeot always uh, and all the other, like Pampa, uh, Nigu, uh, Kai, Kai, Kai de Kant, de Kant, yes. uh, they, they used to build only Hardy Gardis. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the end, so we are late nineteenth um, century and mostly beginning of twelfth uh, century. Um, the last Pajot, so Pajot Jeune, uh, he started to to have a sort of um, musical industry, musical instrument industry. So mm. he wasn't really building a several kind of instruments. Actually, he built like less hurdy-gurdies still some, uh, and then he had many people building any sort of instrument for him, and then he just placed the stamp on top. Like, like here, I have a trumpet from, from Pajot <laughs> Oh, really? Bless you, Ryan. <laughs> <My son>. Sorry. <laughs> a trumpet, yeah, a trumpet. <laughs> and you, you can see from, from clarinet to violins to accordions, uh, really everything. Uh, with the brand Pajot Jeune on top. Interesting. Yeah, it's quite funny. And um, ah, yeah, I have the anecdotes about uh, all the destroyed Hardy uh, Gardens. I, I think you want to, to, to know about it. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, destroyed Hardy Gardens. I don't yes. know if I, if I want to know about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, tell us, tell us. Uh, we were saying not all the instruments really can be alive after those, those centuries. And there are some sad stories about oh, some 19th century instruments. Uh, I'm going to tell you two of those, <laughs> of those sad stories. Like um, one instrument has been torn apart by a kid who used to, to play with the hurdy-gurdy. Like he attached a string to the head and used to, to walk outside and <laughs> in the, the instruments like, like, like this behind him. So no, he was walking the hardy gurdy like a dog. No. <laughs> I think someone would say this is the best using for a hardy gurdy. <laughs> sure, yes. Let's do it. Come on. <laughs> Even more useful usage of it um, was to uh, close a hole in the chimney. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, wait, the chimney had, a, had a, a hole in it. And they used a loop back hurdy-gurdy to close the hole. <laughs> but uh, wait a second, what, uh, what you tell us about the, 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 the kid uh, walking the, the hurdy-gurdy like, like a dog, isn't it uh, the same thing as uh, guitar makers do for relicking defenders? You know, <laughs> right. yes. yeah, maybe maybe it was an early, <laughs> early relicking process. <laughs> Natural aging, yeah, that's good. Yes. <laughs> so, what uh, when it comes to modern instruments, do you have do you have modern instruments? And, and the very nice one. Okay, I have uh, I have an instrument from from Wolfgang. Okay, uh, I have okay. an Allegro. 
it's it's a, it's a wonderful instrument. I really love it. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, all of these instruments are are amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had the chance to to find this one like second handed, and um, it was an instrument I used to see many years ago played by some friend of mine. And I always wanted to, to have that 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 particular instrument because it was one of the best I ever seen. Oh. And uh, you know, normally if you have a resonance string, they resonate and they give a lot of resonance on top. Huh. This instrument has the same resonance without the resonance string. Huh. Huh. Nice, like magic. I don't know how it works, but it does. <laughs> so. Is is it the drones that are just resonating when they're not on, or? Yeah, yeah, but mm, yeah. So the drones, when where they are on, they resonate. Yeah. Yeah. But even yeah. when they are uh, on working, still you have the same amount of resonance. Mm -hmm. So it's not only the, the drones. I guess something maybe like maybe something with it with a top or it's it's always fantastic when you see one of those instruments that really resonates eh? the whole the whole thing resonates and and, and vibrates it's fantastic it seems alive it's really, it really seems alive you just poke it and it tells you something is is this the is this the uh, instrument that you use mainly uh with your band or do you use all of your instruments with your band well, um, when I play folk music, I mainly use uh, the modern pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this, this one, the, the one from both of them. Instead, um, uh, I have a, a Baroque project. Uh, oh. and, and there uh, there I use the Baroque instruments. Uh, then, of course, it, it, it depends. Sometimes uh, I'm, I need to take a specific instrument uh, either 19th or uh, like medieval shaped one, uh, depending on the situation, on the occasion. Uh, I do some some medieval music as well. Uh, so there, I mostly use. Uh, I have a medieval shaped pedigree that I use specifically for that. And uh, every now and then, I I do some conference. Uh, whenever a conference, there I I take. M many instruments with, with <laughs> nice right. so you, uh, have a possibility to hear different instruments with different tuning and uh, you know with different sounds it's, it's when when you learned to when you learned to play the hurdy gurdy how did you get started did you did you already know you wanted to play and so you you had a teacher and a repertoire you wanted to study or how did you get involved and how did you start playing the hurdy gurdy um, that's quite funny, and uh, I would call myself very lucky actually, because okay. uh, you learned from Herman Diaz, right? Ah. No, actually, <laughs> actually not. Um, when I started Hedy uh, Gurdy, internet wasn't so wide. <laughs> so it was two thousand one. I, I was just a child when when, when it started, uh, and it was at school. Uh, so I've never seen or heard about the Hedy Gurdy before. And when I went to the, to the middle school, there my music teacher uh, told us, okay, here we are going to have um, a musical project in which you can uh, play the hurdy-gurdy or the accordion. So he, wow. Yes. So he organized with the school. He, had, uh, he bought one hurdy-gurdy, one study model, uh, and two accordions. 
and he organized with some with some teacher lesson for the school. And so there I could have the chance to to see for my first time, my very first time, the hurdy-gurdy. And I could choose between the hurdy-gurdy or the diatonic accordion. And uh, when I was a child, I used to hate uh, the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> so to see the diatonic accordion was to me something not really nice. But actually, as soon as I saw, uh, as I saw the hurdy-gurdy, it was like immediately falling in love with it. It was like uh, love at first sight. And um, there I started. So I had my, within the, those two, three years of school, I, I could uh, start my, uh, my path uh, into the, the garden world. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, I, I, I went through many, many workshops, for uh, many lessons from uh, French uh, players, maybe. Uh, and then little by little I developed and I trained myself and studied. And, uh, so you've been playing about 20 years now then? It's 20 years, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, do you teach Freddy Gertie as well or is it uh, just the work you do with your band? Yes, I'm, I'm teaching as well and actually since the pandemic <laughs> that's the only thing I'm doing. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes, I feel the same. I feel the same. I want to go back to play. World, please fix yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I really miss playing actually because uh, it's it not, of course, yes, you earn money by playing, but it's not that. It's not only that. Uh, I really miss the feeling of being on a stage, being playing with, with other people, um, and doing a concert, a concert, a performance. That's something that's uh, it's really part of you when, when you play, when you're a musician. Mm -hmm. And be, that being denied, it seems like a part of you is denied. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to not to, to, to be able to, to be concert. Well, it's a good time to focus on home recordings, though, right? I mean, how, how's, your, how's your composition going? Well... Well... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do compose every now and then a few a few songs. I wouldn't call myself a composer. Okay, <laughs> more, more a player than a composer. And uh, well, lately I throw myself uh, almost totally into baroque music. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of music I really I really love. I really love this genre, and uh, it's like my everyday my everyday thing. Yeah. And speaking of that, I actually, as we were talking, uh, Toby did message me and said that she is up for doing a podcast with us. And all we have to do is schedule. Yes, Toby, come on. So, so we'll do it. We'll do it. Um, so we're about to the end of our time. And um, I have I think I might have one more question. But Sergio, I'm curious, do you have any more questions? I have tons of questions, but we may be here uh, five hours if we start talking about how to how to interpret baroque music and the certain techniques we use and what to not use to sound more baroque i'm very interested on that but i don't know if you francesco can tell us a little bit about uh, the correct way to perform uh, baroque music i would be very interested okay well um of course the, the best one to answer this question is toby yourself <laughs> yeah, we will ask her as well. <laughs> we'll ask her too. I'm one of our students, actually. So. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, everything I know, I know from her. <laughs> um, 
Well, what they can tell is that there are there are methods actually actual methods written in the 18th century. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, and it exists like four or five of them. Uh, so it exists one from Dupuy, uh, one from Corette, Corette uh, one from uh, Bois, uh, and there's another one anonymous. Anonymous. The most interesting ones are the, the one from Dupuy and the one from Bois. Um, I can give the link to, to those. Uh, it's everything free to, to download uh, on internet. <laughs> why, why we don't have that, Ryan? We need, yeah. we need those methods. <laughs> so, so. Actually, in those two methods, uh, also something about the, the trumpet part is written down. So <laughs> a lot of things is written down about how to play uh, the ornamentation, how to play with the left hand, but very, very few it's written down on the, the trumpet part. Uh, for now, nowadays, in modern time, it's like essential. We need to, we work with, with the trumpet as it was a, a drum. So it's a percussion. So we, we create patterns, we create rhythms that we then place on top of, our, of a melody. Uh, then it wasn't like this. So the use of the trumpet is completely different. And you use it just to announce some notes, and oh. the, the count of, of uh, accent you are placing there uh, are go uh, alongside the ornaments you use to, to place accents on the melody itself. So you are placing <laughs> accents on the melody with your left hand, and the way you handle the, the wheel. So mm -hmm. you handle the wheel not just turning a plane. But you need to give a lot of expression to it, so you actually change a lot of the speed of the wheel. So it's not it's not simply just using it like a drum or a rhythm. It's using it to uh, accent well to put more emphasis towards accents or ornamentations. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. exactly. Okay. You emphasize uh, part of it when you have like crescendo or diminuendo. Uh, you you use them to create this kind of effect as well. Uh, it's changing the speed uh, uh, while turning and while beating as well. Uh, so there's a lot of dynamic into the way you handle the crank and you handle the wheel. Mm -hmm. so never just one speed, but multiple speed. It's so oh, interesting. Love it. Uh, you really need to have a very quick left hand because huh. some passages are quite tricky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, 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 I can swear it's, it's really, it can be quite tricky and it can be quite tricky quite fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, there are some, some easy, some easy sonatas, but the very interesting ones are complicated. You want to say some easy, it's written down, not too nice, but, but easy, uh, affordable. And then, there are those really cool sonatas where you say, oh yeah, I love this one, and listen to this passage, and are the most complicated. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this isn't this isn't this isn't the question I had in mind. So you might get to here, but this one should be fairly easy for someone who wants to learn one of these sonatas that you're talking about. Uh, and let's say they're not super amazing hurdy-gurdy players, but they're okay. Uh, what would be one or two of the sonatas that you would recommend uh, someone to try to learn just to get started into that style? Right, so um, I think I would go through something from uh, Bois Mortier, 
there are sonatas from Guamortier, very nice and not too complicated to play. Okay. Uh, I would maybe skip Dupuis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Also, something from Chedeville. Actually, it exists two Chedeville. It's not just one. Huh? We're two brothers. So, Nicolas Chedeville and Esprit Philippe Chedeville. Uh, Esprit Philippe, he wrote some, uh, some nice melodies, not too complicated to play. Um, and I, I'm always so bad with uh, remembering the, the titles. <laughs> How about you just send me the sheet music? Yes. And actually, all those those sonatas, almost all the repertoire, it's all free to discharge from internet. Oh, okay. Is it is it on EMSLP that website? Yes, either there or on Gallica. So Gallica point fr. Uh, this French huge immense database where it, there's an insane amount of stuff, all stuff, and there you can find a lot, really a lot of pedigree music from 18th century. Excellent. And the only problem about reading those melodies is that it's written the glyphs. key. It's the key. Because there's a specific key for Hurdy-Gurdy in, uh, in the Baroque era. It is the um, the French violin key um, that is where you have the, the G on the first line of your pentagram. Yes, G cliff, G cliff on the first on the first line. Uh, so you but have to transpose like, everything. <laughs> yeah, but it, actually, it's like reading the bass line, the bass line. Ah, ah okay. Then it's not the not too bad. Like one octave up. Not too bad for piano players or, or cello if players. If you play piano, you know the, the, the best line, how to read it. It's the same. Exactly the same. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm neither a cello nor a piano player, so I guess <laughs> I'm out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some melodies trans transposed into the modern um, into the modern key, into the normal violin key. Right. But almost all of them are in the original state. So right. you have original scores um, downloaded. Uh, so you you need to learn it, but it, it's not too too complicated. Actually, once you 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 get used to it, it's it's quite easy. Okay. And and the final question, which I'm surprised Sergio didn't ask, so I'm going to ask it. What what are who are your top three or top five players that that inspire you? <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, well, the first see. ones that come to mind, just well, of course, one of the first, especially now, is, is Toby. So, Toby Miller is one of my, my greatest uh, idols, you know, mm -hmm. which, uh, especially for, for Baroque music, for me, if I need to, to point to something to, to understand what I should do. I point to her. So it's, it's the standard. Okay. Um, then, of course, Valentin Clastrier. Of uh, course. Uh, from, from which I learned a lot of things. Uh, I learned a lot of things from him. And uh, his ideas, I love the ideas. Crazy, amazing ideas. And um, Gregory Jolivet. Who, who made my technique completely... Uh, develop and become 
audits uh, my technique in our days. Uh, so I can really make a line like before taking lessons with him and after taking lessons with him. Mm -hmm. It really made for me a, a big change uh, back then. Mm -hmm. uh, it made me realize a lot of things. And especially when you think like you talk to yourself, uh, it is not really always that the, the, the good thing to do. Because uh, before going to him, uh, I did many things by myself. And then I went there and I realized that especially my, my right hand wasn't as good as, as I thought. So it's like <laughs> all scrambled. So uh, after seeing him play and uh, the teaching he gave me, uh, I realized, okay, maybe I start round again for, for the left, for the right end and see what, what, it happen, what happens. Mm -hmm. And that makes, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Excellent. Three are some of the greatest inspiration for me. Then I can name many, actually. Many. Well, how about two more? Just two more. Uh, two more. Well, Nigel, Nigel Ethan. Go. <laughs> I think for everybody. Uh, it's a myth for everybody. I grew up with the myth of Nigel Ethan. Like <laughs> 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 everybody else, I, I say. And of course, Herman. Herman. His music is magical. Mm -hmm. it's a lot of people mention these names, eh? Oh, it's, mm -hmm. it's almost always the same, eh? How, how, how it's, it's a very big impact that these guys did to the, to the Hardy-Gardy world. I, I love it. Well, the great, the great thing too is, is number one, I'm pretty sure they're all still, they're all still alive. They're, they're accessible. You know, these, yes. these aren't, these are people that you can actually learn from and, and, and interact with. I mean, that's kind of the beautiful thing about <laughs> the whole thing. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and finish up today. And there's one more track that you uh, recommended. And this is a Toby Miller track. And this is Allegro and Rondo. Um, and this is from, which album is this from? Let me see here. Which one, what is it? La Belle Vieuleuse. Okay, yeah, and this is this is one I've seen quite often uh, popping up on YouTube, so we'll definitely put a link to that too. Is there anything you'd like to say about this track before we um, uh, before we close out today? Well, well, the whole album is amazing, and I listen to it like every day, <laughs> and especially the, 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 the this track is, comes from a, a very nice sonata, and the sonata is played all all of the sonata is, uh, is played in the in the, in, uh, in the CD. And it's the last sonata of the Duque method. And all the sonatas inside of that method are increasingly, insanely difficult. Okay. <laughs> I did sounds marvelously. Uh, and this movement is one of my favorite uh, overall. All right. Well, let's have a listen. And thank you so much for being here today. It was really a pleasure. It was very nice. Yes. Yeah. And thank you, Sergio. Good to see you again. So we'll see you next time on the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe. Thank you.